If you keep attracting and dating emotionally unavailable men, or you can't get over your ex, this podcast is for you. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Sinead Says Podcast. I have brought in Sabrina Zoher, which who is a dating coach. You may have seen her pop up on TikTok. She also has a podcast called Do The Work. And I've been following her on, um, on TikTok for a little while. And then I started following her on Instagram. And then I felt like I needed her help on some of the subjects that you have been asking me. Because even though I've been trying to tell as much advice as I can, I felt like I need more. I need support. And I definitely think that you are the girl for the job. So hello, welcome to the Sinead Says podcast. First, I would like to know like how you got into like this passion. I feel like you definitely have a drive and a passion for it. And it's so weird because on this podcast, anyone who has a drive and a passion is usually an expert of experience, as I can say myself as well. So that's usually what happens. But let us know how you got into this and why you're so passionate about helping people in their dating lives. Totally. Well, thank you so much for having me. Um, Yeah. So this all started for me. So I have a clothing company called Software. And that was kind of my past life was fashion and being really inundated in the fashion industry and just honestly fucking hating it. Like, it's not for me. It is not like the Devil Wears Prada is very much an accurate representation of what you can expect in the fashion industry. And so about seven years ago, about six, almost seven years ago at this point, my mom went to the doctor with a headache and they found six brain aneurysms that grow to the top head of her vessel. Um, And so that's where software became started. I started it after she had her successful surgery. But in that time, I also started to realize that there was an issue within me, that I had something that was going on with the way that the dating life I had that was correlating to the results that I was getting was not in line with what it is that I wanted and what it is that I thought I was going to have. And it was really kind of my rock bottom around that time. And that's actually where I started with my narcissistic relationship. And so I had essentially married my father, same type of thing. They were similar. It was the same kind of situation, the same behaviors. It all felt very familiar. And in the at, at the time, I had no idea what anxious attachment style was, what these traumas were. What, I had no idea. I was completely oblivious. And I remember I read the book Attached, and it was the first time I realized that my ex was avoidant and I was anxious. Okay, cool. I had a name to it. And after the end of our relationship, which was tumultuous and grueling and all the things that we hear, that is actually what started my healing journey. And so from that, I started to do inner child work and ketamine treatments and all these kinds of different modalities, meditation, breath work, yoga, you name it, I've tried it. And was running my business, realizing the mental health toll it was having, and just feeling really alone and trying to navigate the dating world, not understanding the traumas and things that I had, learning about all these new things, but not really feeling like there was any place or resource for somebody to go to to learn about these things from somebody that's actually experienced it. So uh, exactly a year ago, like last week, I think it was, um, I started my TikTok and I just said, fuck it. I've been coaching people privately, just like life coaching and doing things on the side that felt like it was an alignment to me. And I said, listen, if there's people out there that can at least learn from experiences that I've had living in New York for 12 years, LA for two, and now San Diego. So dating in major cities, dealing with all the types of attachment styles and traumas and all of those things, it bred within me this fire to share the stories that I had. And I did not realize the community that I would build. And then the podcast started and everything just continued to mushroom to where I have never been so excited to wake up in the mornings because I know that I can help people in so many ways more than just creating clickbait or something that will manipulate people or get them in their delusions. I'm actually able to give people steps, tools, and actionable, you know, things that they could take to start to heal and not just blame or shame themselves. Yeah. And I love that as well, that you personally have went through an anxious attachment and going through the patterns of attracting people like your 
primary caregivers, et cetera. And then you can understand what the, what your client obviously needs and wants. And I, I feel like that as well. I feel like I've went through it all. And I like probably my journey probably started with the book attached as well. Cause that yeah. was when I realized that I was an avoidant. So really, I, yeah, well, I'm kind of an anxious and avoidant, but at that point in my life, when I had read that book, like I was very everyone at arm's length and like, didn't want to let anyone in. And then like at the very end of the book as an avoidant, it's a very confronting because at the very end of the book, there's like this little story and it's like, I don't know if you remember, but in the book, it says something along the lines of you think that you're watching a movie and the girl leaves the man for the person she actually loves when in fact she's an avoidant and she leaves. And then next thing she thinks of an excuse of not to be with him. And then the the cycle continues and continues. So this is kind of where I was at. And I was like, oh my God, I am confronted. I can't. I, and like, I want to experience love and stuff like that. And I have experienced it in my past, et cetera. But obviously I think all those you know, all the hurt really made me an avoidant, avoidant, made me more avoidant, like, in the, like, as I went on my relationships. So I feel like I had to go and do the healing work. And I went to therapy and I did all the stuff. So yeah, like, it's such a nice journey to be on, because it's like, you're like, there's a way out, you know, there's a way yeah. to like, save you from being this person. And can I ask you, like, what was it that, you know, you, the pattern that you kept saying, like you were an anxious attachment and you were going towards um, people that were emotionally unavailable? Would that be right? Oh, completely. I mean, I was yeah. dating, I was dating the same thing. It was the same. He's emotionally unavailable, not ready for a relationship, strings you along, like narcissistic or super charming or, you know, the love bombers. It was like classic. They all look the same. They all fucking talk to the same. They all dress the same. My mom even said, she's like, this is creepy. I don't even know how you're able to get so many carbon copies. <laughs> And it's so interesting because for you, obviously, identifying more avoidant at the time when you read it. So the the author of Attached, Amir Levine, has recently come out making a statement saying that when he wrote the book, he wishes that he had um, shown the avoidant more compassion because it's completely been villainized at this point. Mm -hmm. Because all of a sudden, the person that shuts down and removes themselves is the bad guy and fuck this person and they don't open up and they're the enemy. But what the anxious folks don't realize, which took me fucking years to realize myself, was guess what? You're also avoidant because you are avoiding looking at the shit that's causing you to want to constantly co-regulate. And just because you quote unquote express yourself often doesn't actually mean that you're emotional available. And oftentimes we see if you see a pattern where you're consistently repeating the same thing over and over again, you are in fact as well emotionally unavailable and avoiding doing the work on yourself. It's not one is worse and one is better. You know, like the pattern of attracting this, like how did you overcome this? Or how did you actually recognize you were in this pattern? Like, did you actually step back for a minute and be like, they're all the same? And then you just started to be like, okay, I want to try different. I remember probably maybe like a year and a half ago. No, about uh, January of last year. I'll never forget it, actually. It was it was one of those dating situations that, like, you hit rock bottom. You know, it was the guy that came on really strong and was fucking amazing, and every date was better than the last. And it, we just, I, I remember calling, I will never forget when my, my best friend was in town, and when he walked out, she said, either, I'll never forget, she looked at me and she said, either this is the love of your life, or we're getting played so fucking hard. And I was just like, I don't know, dude, I am not sure. I was like, we're going to find out. And that was when like, he found it, like he didn't live next to me. So he went back and promised, oh my God, no, I want to pursue this. And I'm going to come back and visit you every two months. I remember our two weeks, I remember him sending me a video being like, baby, I want to show you my apartment. I, this is your future space. I can't wait for you to come. And I mean, I'm over the goddamn moon. This is your duty. He's buying stuff for my company. He's planning all these trips with me. I'm, I'm thinking, holy shit. 
And I'll never forget, like, we got into a thing and he had made a comment to me. Like, I was telling him, you know, I don't feel like we're communicating. Like, I barely talked to you. And it's been like a month since you said you were going to come back. Like, I was being breadcrumbed. It was obvious what was happening. And to other one else but me. And I confronted him about it. And he was incredibly dismissive. And he made it seem like I was fucking insane for having any basic needs. And when he came back to town and I saw that behavior in person, the next day I was with my friend and I was just like, am I taking crazy pills? What is going on? And he pulled some bullshit where he was like, I'm going to stay at a hotel tonight. I just need some space to think. And I remember I woke up in the morning and I was definitive. I was like, no matter what, this is not behavior that I want anymore. I'm tired of it. I dealt with it. And I was like, I had to finally think of what my therapist always said was think of future you. And I finally thought about the future me saying, if he walks back in this home and take as, acts as if nothing's wrong, then we're just going to perpetuate the same behavior. But if I finally stand up for myself, I could finally start demanding differently. And I had, my su- I had his suitcase ready, packed when he showed up and I handed it to him and I said, get the fuck off my porch. And we had a whole long talk and it was babe, you know, I'm emotionally unavailable and, you know, I'm just not ready. And I was like, that's great. I've always known this, but you made me fucking think I was insane for calling this out. And I was like, it's fine. You can go. And from that day, my best friend has always told me, she's like, from that day on, you dated differently because I finally started to realize, wait a minute, doing the same thing, expecting a different result is my brain going into protective mode is, hey, this is, we've known that this keeps you safe. So let's keep doing it. And it wasn't until I started to realize if I don't make a change, then nothing changes. So I had to step up and take accountability and say, what was my part in it? Okay, I self-abandoned. When I had needs and I expressed it to him and he dismissed it, that's where I should have said, hey, that didn't feel good. I don't appreciate that. But I didn't know my voice at the time. And it wasn't until I started to use my voice and realize that way I was taught when I was a kid to not communicate and to people please and to shut down and to not wasn't serving me in my adult life because the coping mechanisms I created in childhood ultimately came, became the challenges I faced in adulthood. Yeah. Always is. Yeah. Always is. And I don't know if you had like a similar experience, if there was like one situation that changed you, but I feel like once you start to see the pattern, you can't unsee it. It's funny you're talking about that because that man is acting like he's not emotionally, emotionally available. Like he's showing you all the things, but telling you he's emotionally unavailable. Like how do you even differentiate and how do you navigate that? And it is a very difficult way to not be because you are in the fails. You really like this person, but they're telling you I'm emotionally unavailable. Like what way do you go by that? Especially like as women, sometimes we get a bit more attached, especially if we've been, been with them for a little while. How do we like step back and see the big picture? So essentially, when somebody tells you that they're emotionally unavailable, that is the end of that's it. Like that is where you halt the car. You get the fuck out. There is no reason to continue. When somebody tells you I'm emotionally unavailable, what they're telling you is I am shut off from my own emotions. I do not know my own wants, needs and desires. I am disconnected from myself. They're telling you I'm I'm pouring from an empty cup. I don't have to give you. And it's, of course, most people, especially women, but people in general, they look at this as challenge accepted. Okay, well, then I can change their mind. And if I'm amazing and I'm perfect and I'm all these things. Now, the two sides of the coin are this. From the person who's emotionally unavailable, let's think about it this way. If all it if all it took was me proving a case to you, hey, this is how it's gonna, this is how amazing your life could be if you're with me. Look at how amazing I am. If all it took was me to say, hey, look how amazing your life could be, then I would have changed everybody. But we also see how other people can change people. You have to be ready and willing and have the bandwidth to do the work on yourself because you know, like I do, the inner work that's required is daunting and scary and overwhelming and a lot, but it is worth every second of it. And if somebody is not ready for that or cannot even face their own demons, you are the, at that point you're hitting your head against the rock hoping it's going to crumble when you're the only one that's bleeding so for me 
when I hear somebody that's saying that, and then for the other person, if you're somebody that hears someone say, I'm emotionally unavailable or I'm not ready or any of those bullshit things, you know, the, the stuff that we hear, the rhetoric that comes for you to continue, what that means to me is that you are self-abandoning. So there is a part of you that's also emotionally unavailable because this one feels familiar. It feels safe. You feel like, oh, your worth comes because you put somebody on the pedestal. And when we put that dynamic of, oh, I have to prove to them, I have to get them, I have to see, they have to see my worth. Look, look, look. You're reliving the parent-child dynamic because as a child, if you had emotionally unavailable parents or somebody that was dismissive, yada, yada, of course it worked for them because it's unconditional and those are your parents. But unfortunately, this is some random schmo that you met on the internet that you might have met once. You created an entire idea of them and they burst that bubble and you're refusing to accept it. Yeah, 100%. I see this pattern all the time with like friends and anyone talking to me about this emotionally unavailable thing. And I sometimes would say to them, I'm like, can you please write down what you want in a partner and what you don't want in a partner? And usually like the list is so long of what they want and this person has nothing to do with it. So I always say like, you have to look at how you have been loved in the past in order to see how you're loving now. That's usually what happens. Like I usually ask them like, what about your parents? Like, are they emotionally unavailable? Because the only way you know how to love is to search for it in an emotionally unavailable people. And the worst thing is like, if you were searching it in emotionally unavailable people when you were like a child, you probably did never ever got it. So you're still in the dating pool trying to search for this love that you absolutely never got. And, you know, as the therapist always says, like you're going to repeat these patterns until it's repaired. So if anyone is listening to this and they keep going after these emotionally unavailable men, then you need to have a look at like healing yourself in order to attract better for yourself. Would I be right in saying that you can attract 100%. better whenever you have a better self-worth? A hundred percent, because let's think with the way that we have to look at this is if you don't genuinely in your heart and gut believe that the the love that you think you're worthy of is going to come to you. And yes, does that require a lot of lonely nights and walking away from people and setting boundaries? Of course. But if you in your gut and you genuinely have accepted yourself for who you are and you're not looking at yourself saying, well, I'm too much and I'm too needy and I'm too this. No, it's this is who I am. I love myself. I've done that shadow work. I've accepted myself. I'm not going to shame or blame myself. I'm going to show up authentically. If we're going out there and you're consistently, like you said, if you're consistently going through the same thing, when you start to turn that inwards and really start to reflect on that shit, two things happen. One, you get turned off by inconsistency. You get turned off going, I don't like the way I feel because I'm finally connected to how I feel and I'm no longer pushing that down. Now that I'm feeling it, this doesn't, I don't like this. Second of all, then what also happens is you go against your core beliefs because your core beliefs are, I'm not good enough and I'm not worthy and yada, yada. We have to remember, that's what you learned when you were a kid. If you didn't learn anything else, then how are we expecting you to know? No shame or blame here. But if we can look at it and not in a lens of, I get this all the time. I'll start with clients. I had a perfect childhood. No, no, no. Can't be that. It must've been the last guy I dated. Then as we start to peel back, I'm like, anyone you know has nothing to do with villainizing your parents or holding, no, no, no. We're trying to figure out where'd you learn this? So where did you learn that this equals this or that this is how love is or yada, yada. Once we start to kind of heal those parts, the second component of not just getting turned off by the emotionally unavailable people is that you will start to allow and receive the people that are actually trying to give it to you because healthy will no longer equal boring to you. Instead, it's fuck yeah, this is what I deserve. This might make me feel uncomfortable. I've never had someone respect my boundaries or care about me because it also means that my core beliefs are now being discredited and disproved because look, I am worthy of love. There is somebody that cares about me. I am not too needy. I'm not too much. I'm everything that I have always believed that I am. But if you believe that those are, that's your rhetoric, well, then no wonder that's what you're going to keep saying. And like when you build up that self-love and like some people say like self-love is 
knowing your own needs and then knowing that those needs are worthy and then that is kind of like when you step up the game because usually people in dating are going through this motion of oh like tippy toeing around like I, I don't want to ask him too much because it'll scare him away etc etc and there's a difference between an avoidant and someone are just like going down a toxic route because there is people that are avoidant but like you uh, them asking you for their needs is not going to turn them away no. you know what I mean? if they actually really like you so it's like oh they're an avoidant like how do we tippy toe into this and like and there is certain ways that you you can deal with avoidance as someone has avoided myself uh there's definitely ways you can deal with it and it can be easier managed but like the person that really likes you and wants to be with you will not run away when they're asking for your basic needs of what are we doing? What is this? Not at all. It's like, if you're scared of losing somebody, then I'd be like, what are you holding on to? Because if having one basic conversation is going to shut them down and make them run for the hills, it's like, okay, it's good to see that behavior. And again, that's where I go with like people pleasing fear. If fear is driving the car, you can't be shocked that you're going to be living in that space all the fucking time. My partner is by nature more avoidant and I am more anxious. We're incredibly secure in our relationship, but that didn't mean that we didn't have growing pains. Like when we started started dating. I mean, he was incredibly rigid, incredibly strict. I need my space, da, da, da. And it wasn't that I didn't respect it. It was that I still articulated my needs. But what I also had to remember was this, was loving myself also knows that it's not my partner's responsibility mm -hmm. to satisfy all of my fucking needs. That just because I might have a need and they don't, doesn't mean one person is right, one person is wrong. And so I think there's this misconception, especially when we come to the texting stuff of like, well, I want more texting and they have to do it. It's like, or... How about we look at both people's responsibility? What is you guys are now a partner, right? You're a team. So it's not me against you and I'm more important than you are. It's like, no, and it's not vice versa that you self-abandon for them. So like when my partner and I started dating, not a texter, was not a texter. And I had to challenge the fuck out of my core beliefs and my thoughts and the anxiety and the un uncertainty and all of that stuff. But because I really loved myself to the point where I accepted myself, I was like, listen, if this doesn't work out, I'll be okay. I'm not going to turn to shit. I'm not going to crumble. Like, I would I be sad? Of course, I'm a human, but I'll move on. And we still to this day say that. But when he expressed, when I expressed my need to him saying, hey, I need a little bit more texting, he came back with a boundary. Hey, this isn't a sign of my disinterest, but I'm not interested in a digital relationship. He was like, so if you're down to grow this with me in person, let's spend more time together. Let's be consistent with how we see each other in person. Otherwise, you know, that's okay. I totally understand, but I'm not interested in getting engaging in this constant texting. I looked at that and I was like, fuck, that was hot. You set a boundary. <laughs> and now for me as the receiving that boundary, it's thank you so much for sharing that. Okay. Let's find a commonality. Great. You're more interested in spending time in person. So let's have a standing date every week. That way I didn't feel as anxious. If I didn't get his text, it's okay. I knew I was going to see him. This is what compromise looks like, not entitlement of, well, if you don't do it my way, then get the fuck out. You're going to be alone if you do that. It's also realizing when you go into a relationship, what is it you need to feel less anxious? Because someone who's a secure person, those lucky, lucky people don't need as much as what an anxious or an avoidant needs. Like they will need that. And then that's where you need to do your own work in terms of like writing in your journal. What is it that I need? What really annoyed me? What made me feel anxious? Like, you know, for example, like if your partner goes on a night out and they don't text you on a night out or text you when they're home, that can sometimes make an anxious feel very, very anxious. Whilst instead of reacting with this like suspicion and this like aggression you could literally be like I actually need this to make myself feel safe in the relationship and sometimes 
the partner retaliates because they really can't understand what why they need that because they don't right. need it because they're secure but like if you say excuse me this is I've had certain things happen to me in the past and this is just something that makes me feel safe and like even after time you'll notice that you won't even need that text because that person is going to feel so secure because they have you've like came to your needs and asked for a certain thing that yeah you might not want to text all night but like maybe the text at the end of the night is the compromise etc so it's like knowing what you need and knowing that you and your partner are completely different and have had different um upbringings and different experiences in life to make you the way you are so I always think like getting your journal out and writing what exactly you need to feel safe in the relationship and you could look at that and then you could look at your partners and your partner could be like I don't need it because I don't need anything because I'm so secure that's amazing but they also need to tend to your needs as well and if they love you and they're in this together then they will tend to them and they will compromise on certain things for sure I definitely think that as well yeah I mean listen if if it's important to you and you express it to your partner then it becomes a conversation it just becomes part of like my partner I listen, I'm a needy bitch. Don't get me wrong. Like I still have a lot of needs. I'm he'll always joke and he's like, Oh, you need the reassurance, complete the circle. And he'll give me a kiss. And he's like, Oh, right. I said something cute. I have to kiss you now. He'll make fun of me for it. And I'm like, I don't take that personally. I'm like, yeah, you're damn right. I do show me that you love me. And it's, <laughs> it's become, but we don't get, it's not, I never did that in the beginning out of insecurity. It's more of just like, Hey, I'm expressing to you and I need reassurance. And he has the first person to be like, okay, how can I reassure you? In mm. the same way that if he needed that for me, if he was like, hey, I love you. I just, I need a night to myself. I'd be like, okay, thanks for letting me know. No worries. Thanks for letting me know how I can support you. I'll see you tomorrow though. Great. I'll see you at 12. Perfect. It doesn't need to be so personal because I think what a lot of people forget in dating is very rarely is it personal. Very rarely. It feels personal to you because you are the star of your own movie. But to me, you're just a fucking extra. You're just somebody that I might never see again. You might have fit your scene and gone, walked off stage left. So if we take everything as, oh my God, it must be me. It's like, well, then that's how you're going to allow everybody else to determine who you are because you're waiting for everyone else to tell you who you are. As opposed to if I'm going to go out and date, I knew at the end of the day, I was not for everybody and everybody was not for me. I don't even like everybody. So why would I want everyone to like me? But the right person for me, my partner, doesn't see my needs as being too much. On the contrary, he always laughs. And he's like, thanks for putting up with me. And I'm like, you seem easy to me. You see how to some people your needs are close to impossible. And to me, cakewalk, I could satisfy them. doesn't mean there's anything wrong with you. It just means that you just haven't met the right person. Yeah. Love that. And the reason why I brought you here today as well is because this is the question that everyone really wants answered and I feel like we just need to discuss it and it is getting over an ex and okay. it's pitting the ex on the pedestal which yeah. is the issue I think with some of the questions that I've been getting in for um, today's podcast or even every week it's like I can't get over my ex it's been two uh, two years Um, I think he was the best person blah 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 and like what is your best advice for someone to firstly you know deal with the breakup and begin to get over it and heal it's going to be tough. And I'm going to be honest with you. And this is I've spoken to like, you know, if you listen to my fucking podcast, I have therapists that are coming on all day. I didn't make some I didn't make the shit up. You know what I mean? It's not this isn't like profound, controversial topics. But what I will say is staying in denial and delusion is not going to keep you there. It's not going to help you get to a place of um, healing. Your ex is an ex for a reason. And if I, I had somebody write in the other day saying, I'm, I'm stuck on this person. It's been 16 months. I can't get over them. I don't know what to do. And I was like, my issue here is that you're refusing to accept the situation for what it was. You consistently, because by putting them on the pedestal, again, there's something wrong with you. There's something wrong with you that reaffirms your core beliefs. You can't move on. They're so perfect. They're so perfect. They're so perfect. Because what that does is it keeps you from looking at yourself going, oh my God, what did I allow? Who was this person? Like you said, what did I even like about them? Did I, because anytime I talk about that, 
I had a client the other day and he's, I can't get over my ex and I can't get over, oh, everything was perfect. Everything was perfect. And I was like, that's my first way to know you're full of shit. Everything was perfect. Everything was amazing. That means you're delusional. You're not seeing it for what it is because you have put, not the you, the proverbial you, when we put somebody in a pedestal, again, child-parent dynamic. And so you're looking at it as they don't see my worth. So that means I need to work harder to show them my worth. We all know that that is, that's like saying I'm going to walk faster than a car can drive. We all know that I'm never going to be able to do that. But if I constantly try to prove myself, I'm constantly going to be in the space of a victim. And so if you're hung up on somebody, I'm not saying not to take your time to process and feel and grieve and you could be angry and sad and all of those things. But if you're taking 16 months, a year, two years, three years, four years, you are wasting the literal precious time we have. Because guess what is the only resource on this planet right now that is not infinite? Our fucking time. Our time is finite. Our time is once it's done, it's done. And I'm not making women a commodity saying you have a ticking time bomb, but there is a reality of biology that if you're 38 and you want to have a child, but you keep going, you're pining over a guy from when you were 30 that you still can't get over. You, biology isn't going to come and talk to you and be like, oh, you're still hung up on him. It's all right. I'll give you a few more years. Don't worry about it. Now we can go into 50 and you can still have kids. So if you want to have children in a family, that's a beautiful goal. Then we need to change the plan of how we're going to get there. And that means accepting people of who they are, not projecting who you want them to be, because then that keeps you stuck in the same loop. And yeah. if you want to be stuck in the same loop, great. I'll see you in your 40s when you're still stuck on the same person. But if you want to actually accept and go, wow, maybe they weren't the perfect person. Maybe the only reason they were perfect is because I created that in my mind. I showed up as open and available, not them. I created the love in the home, not them. On the contrary, I have this within me to create this with other people. Yeah. And I always say this as well. I feel like sometimes our friends tippy to around the ex and let the let like they they say like oh like they are they don't even like that new girl they don't like this blah 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 and it's like your friends try to protect you by playing everything down when in fact they need to give you like the cold hard truth that this person is not good for you and I feel like I went through like a stage of this as well after like a really bad breakup and I couldn't get over him for like two years and when I went to therapy the therapist gave me like the toughest love ever like for me this person was my soulmate I was meant to be with this person and like he was the best boyfriend ever and like when I said to like the therapist I was like no but like we're soulmates we're in love etc and she was like you do know this is only your side like you do not know what he felt on his side and then like I really sat back and was like wow that makes a lot yeah. of sense like considering as well like the person cheated on me and did all the stuff like I all these things in my head like oh, he did it because of this and because of that and because of me or because we were in a bad place and blah, blah, blah. But like, if you actually sit back and be like, okay, look at all these things that my ex has done and how it has made me feel. And you sit back and you just actually start to take it in. And as hard as it is, that's when you start hitting the different stages of your breakup. Because if you're not even hitting anger as well, like you have to go through the, like even the stages of grief. So if you've got them on a pedestal and you love them and you're so you think it's all your fault, there's no anger there as well. So I feel like that's a good process and to be like, okay, I actually need to take them off this pedestal because this is all the shit that they did to me. It made me feel like this. And this is why we're broken up in the first place. So it's really just sometimes the absolute tough love. And it was so horrible to hear in therapy because I was like, you don't know us. You don't know what we yeah. did. <laughs> like except like I was literally like deluded and then with the delusion becomes the denial of course what you said like without acceptance you cannot heal and I always say as well like 
you, there's there's a difference between pain and suffering. Like pain is literally feeling the pain of the breakup and suffering is avoiding the pain by denying it. So I think like those are the things that you need to do. Like you actually, if you're listening to this now and your ex is on a pedestal and you can't get over your ex, like you need to be writing down everything that that person did that did not serve you and did not and made you feel like crap. And then you need to begin the healing process, accept, feel anger and move on. And as you can tell from this podcast, we are massive advocates for therapy, especially coming to these topics. So if you're someone that is constantly dating emotionally unavailable men and being hurt by it and want to heal and attract better into your life, and also if you're someone who is an avoidant or who's an anxious attachment and wants to get a hold of that in order to stop damaging your relationships, then therapy has helped me massively throughout the years for this. And as you know, BetterHelp is our amazing sponsor and BetterHelp is an online therapy and counseling platform. You can use the app. It is so easy to use. It is so affordable and you can chat to your counselor, your therapist on there via Zoom, via message. And it is so, so helpful for me and for a few of my friends and everyone to navigate their way through relationships and be their best version of themselves. So so to get 10% off your first month, you can use betterhelp.com slash That is betterhelp.com slash Sinead. And you know what? And I'm glad 100%. And I will to boot that is like, we can have two conflicting thoughts at once. You can care about somebody, but also know that they weren't able to satisfy your needs. That's a huge sign of growth. It's like yeah. when you can accept it and make this person a real person of like, oh yeah, they're not perfect. They're not all these things. I created that. Once you're able to start doing that, when you can show compassion to other people, you can also show, show compassion to yourself. Because what I find a lot of the times is where people are more stuck is I'll even ask them like, are you upset with them or yourself? Are you upset with this person? Or are you upset with yourself that you allowed it and you didn't stand up for yourself and you felt this? It's like, that's okay. That is all right if that's the case, but we cannot continue to deny if that is what's actually happening, that you're not accepting the breakup, you're not accepting them, and you're not accepting your part in this and theirs because it's easy to make everything about you because then that reinstates your core, your core belief. Again, you have to prove yourself to them so you never were able to. They're on the pedestal because you're just the worst person ever. But when you can actually stop and be like, wait a minute. Like you with your ex. Wait, he cheated on me? That motherfucker cheated on me? Okay. Because then I would say, all right. Tell me all the things you want in a relationship and we'll go through it all. I want to be seen, heard, and understood. I want to feel safe. I want consistency. I want reciprocity. I want all of those. Great. Did your partner match that? Usually I'll get the starts to go, no. And I'm like, oh, really? Oh, yeah. They created a safe space. Did they? When people, yes, yes, yes. I felt all of those things. So then why couldn't you express yourself? And they're like, well, because he'd blow up. I'm like, great. So he didn't create a safe space. Again, when we can start to actually hold ourselves accountable and accept, you're right. I overlooked things. That's on me. That's one of the hardest yeah. things that you could say. And also like with that and um, not being able to, you know, stand up for yourself can usually come out of fear of them leaving as well, which is also not a way to be in a relationship. Like if you're living in fear in your relationship, if you fear they're going to break up with you and you're just doing everything that they ask and trying to be their perfect person, then that just creates fear. It creates insecurity. It literally, so like, I want you to ask yourself if you're listening to this, like if you're living in this fear that someone's going to break up with you, because this is the ho most horrible place to ever live because you can't be your true self. You can't be authentic. You can't show up. You can't do your needs. So this is why when you break up with someone as well, you do end up blaming yourself because you never actually suit up for yourself. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. I couldn't, I couldn't have said it any better. Yeah. But um, okay, I won't leave you too long, but I just wanted to touch on two more topics. So 
how to know when it's time to stay or leave in a relationship? I think the biggest thing is starting to learn to trust yourself. If you can start to learn to trust that inner voice, that gut, because we have to remember anxiety, gut versus react, gut, gut versus anxiety. Anxiety comes with a narrative and comes with a body reaction. The gut is actually quite calming. Think about if you and I were talking right now and we saw a tiger, we would freeze, right? We would both be like, fuck. Our first thought wouldn't be, does he think I'm pretty? Oh my God, I knew I must have done too much. I'm wearing way too much makeup. That's why he doesn't come over here. No, our first reaction is you need to get out of here. Safety. Just your brain is going into overdrive. Get to safety. So if if that were the case, okay, cool. Now I kind of know what I need to do here versus that anxiety that starts to come with the narrative. I knew he didn't like me. I knew he wanted to go somebody else. I knew I wasn't good enough. If you start to attack yourself, that is where we need to start having you reevaluate what's going on. But if you're looking at the relationship going, I don't know, my gut is telling me something, talk to your fucking partner. Yeah. If you're not sure if you need to stay or go, I'll tell you this. Can you talk to them or not? If you can't talk to your partner, it's time to get out. If you can talk to them about this. Hey, these are what I'm feeling. I'm unsure. I don't know what's happening for me. I'm starting to feel some stuff. That's okay. But that's the first sign is like, if you trust yourself and you're able to differentiate in your gut, is this a projection? Is this my anxiety creating a narrative or is there really an issue and you can't talk to your partner about it? There we go. Now you have your answer. Yeah. And also I feel like obviously because there, there is relationship anxiety and then there's also real doubts. But I feel like when you're looking to stay or leave, it's basically looking at what you need in a relationship, your actual needs and wants. Because sometimes you don't know them, know them especially if you be, if you begin in a young relationship, then you start to get older, you start to know yourself and you're like, God, actually, like this partner yeah. actually isn't giving me what I need and want. I'm feeling a lot of anxiety. There is then bringing the awareness to the needs and wants, then giving them to your partner because your partner is also not a mind reader. And I think right. it's important to make sure that you tell them. So they could be breaking your boundaries your like imaginary boundaries because you haven't sat them like for a few months or whatever when you start to realize your needs and then you haven't actually told them because you they don't know any different so if you don't communicate them then they don't have an opportunity to keep the boundaries so then you 100%. give them the opportunity and then they see if they can meet your needs they can meet your wants and then if they're continually breaking your boundaries then that's on you like that is your emotional responsibility to be like okay because you've literally given them the old, not the ultimatum, but you've given them your needs and wants. They've given boundaries and they keep breaking them. Then that is on you. So then I feel like if you've already given it to them, then that's the opportunity that you should be leaving. Like you can't just live in this anxiety and live in where you're at. Look at your own expectations. Look up there and have a talk with this person. But if they can't talk and then they're keep making you upset, if you're crying every night and they're, yeah. it's just constant, then you need to have a real look at it. But then obviously you've got like relationship anxiety, which does come up a lot for avoidance. Um, I personally would get relationship anxiety around like big steps in life. So yeah. things like moving in together or, you know, just anything that's going that direction. It's like, oh, okay. And then I'm quite aware of my relationship anxiety. Like I'm quite aware that I'm going to get a re-trigger. But I think over time with therapy as an avoidant, you realize that your brain is really just trying to protect you because you've been down this road before and you do feel like it's all going to come crumbling. And when I go through this relationship anxiety, I usually just sit with myself and sit with like my journal, et cetera, and be like, even if this goes wrong, I am well equipped. Like it doesn't have to be the breakup that really, really broke me because usually relationship anxiety can come from a really tough breakup where you went to like a really, really bad breaking point. And this is like, and this is an example of someone who's emotionally unavailable, like me not being, if I wasn't over that, I would be emotionally unavailable, but coming into the point of 
being more sure of myself and knowing that I'm going to be okay if I break up with this person that's sort of like where the relationship anxiety just kind of goes away so it's important as well to even like as we were talking about the emotional unavailable person sometimes we do villainize the person but like if they've actually told you I'm emotionally unavailable sometimes they're going through they went through a bad breakup or they're going through stuff and they just like I'm not ready to be um in a dark place again so here is my what I want to say as well. 100%. So, we don't need to villainize people. Just because someone yeah. can't meet your needs doesn't mean there's anything wrong with them. But then then I would say, like you said, if you're not communicating your needs and you're not talking to mm-hmm. your partner, if you're staying with someone out of fear, then that right there, fear, I'm not going to meet anyone else. They're going to leave me. They're not. That is when it's like, no, thank you. I'm staying with my partner because I feel fulfilled. I feel seen, heard, and understood. I feel safe. And I love my partner. It's not perfect. So that's also the first thing is like, if you're scared of going back out in your day, that is where I would be like, cool, now we need to have this conversation of if this is the right time for you and sitting with yourself and also acknowledging, okay, I'm feeling anxious. It's okay. You're allowed to feel these emotions if you give yourself permission to feel them and sit with those emotions. It's okay. I'm feeling anxiety today. Doesn't define me. I just have some anxiety in my body. And also realizing that like, it's usually fear. Like you don't want to go back to that place where you've been before. But then when you self-assured yourself, like I'm okay, I'll be able to deal with this. But if we ever break up, if we do move in together and we go to these next steps and we break up, I am going to be okay. And like repeating that to yourself, telling yourself that. And then, you know, that's sort of where my relationship excited. And then that's how I would ease it as well. And even on like the emotional unavailability as well, like, you know, I was someone that was emotionally unavailable and told my partner that like I, well, I was seeing someone and like, I was just dating and I was like, I'm, I don't, I don't want to be in a relationship. I've just come out of one. Like I'm not interested in this, like blah, blah, blah. But if you want to be casual, that's fine. That was like my way to protect myself. And, um, but it's funny because that person then was like, oh, I understand you're emotionally unavailable. My mental health could not take us being in a casual relationship and I'm going to and and I'm gonna like finish this here and I was like totally fine and like it's funny because I really 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 liked that person and I wasn't ready because I just I just wanted to be on my own and just like I didn't want to think about anyone else and he respected that and then um I obviously could not stop thinking about him and then like I went on my dating life and then I came back and then when we were together like he's my boyfriend so sometimes that's that's that sometimes that works and that I think like if he would have kept pushing and like stayed with me yes. casually we would have just been crazy like he would have been annoyed at me and we would have fell out and like I was just I would have been like oh I'm not ready but like he gave me the space and like I was ready then and it was amazing he respected your boundaries he didn't try to that's what I'm saying don't part don't try to fucking protest or change someone's mind if someone says they're not emotionally unavailable just be like I totally respect that contact me if things change yeah and like we have those people as well like we do you know like in girl talks like we're like a lot of girls are like okay I'm gonna play it cool I'm gonna like try to be his friend and Uh, I'm gonna like he's gonna fall in love with me and we're gonna be like the best thing ever and it's just toxic like use if you're listening to this and you think that you have this little plan that you're just gonna hang about with him and he's really he thinks you're really cool then you're going to be hurt because he's giving you boundaries he's told you exactly what he wants so that's like you need to just sit back and be like, okay, you go and do what you need to do. I'm an amazing person and I deserve yeah. full attention instead of this half hour, half hour thing. And then we'll come back to you. But yeah. Remember, you were good before them. You'll be good after. Somebody yeah. is an addition to your life, not instead of. So if we know that and you trust yourself and it's like, I will be okay no matter what. If this works out great, that's how I was with my partner. Every time we'd see each other, I'd be like, if it works out great. And if not, that's okay. This was fun. Yeah. love this okay so just a quick one now how do you think you because your appointment did you say your partner was a little bit avoidant yeah and you're a little bit anxious okay so how do you think is the best tips to manage that relationship 
I don't take things personally. If he says no, or if he needs space or anything like that, I do not take it personal. I know it's not about me. I know that it's his issues. I get curious. I ask questions. I ask how I can support. He he and I, every almost every night, he'll be like, do you feel seen, heard, and understood? Is there anything I can do to support you? When things are happening, everything that's happening in the world right now, he constantly calls me. Are you okay? What can I do to help? It's just about knowing each other and supporting each other. So if you're somebody that's dating an avoidant, yeah, they're going to need some space. Leave them the fuck alone. Stop trying to get them to constantly regulate with you. And if you're avoidant, start fucking communicating. Start talking to your partner. It's okay. You're not going to lose your independence. You're going to gain something so incredible. You're good. You're safe. You're not dating your parents anymore. So I think that's the number one thing is to look at your partner is not your mom or dad. They're not going to leave you. They're not abandoning you. They're not rejecting you. This is just somebody that you are now building an adult relationship with. So let's use that word adult and start acting like that. Yeah. And also what's really good as well is like if you're an anxious in a relationship, things like coaching and therapy can really help you because you can really come at your avoidant partner. And then with you overthinking and thinking, is it me? What am I doing? And acting up on your protest behavior that is what pushes the avoidant away whenever you take it personally you know what I mean so what you need to work out work on an anxious is coaching therapy understanding that you can self-soothe yourself you do not need your partner constantly like texting you and and with you to know that you're okay and you're safe so I think that like I suppose like that's what you meant but it's 100%. Regulate yeah. your nervous system. Start to yeah. work on your nervous system and start to figure out what is this trying to protect me from? Where did I learn this from? What's coming up for me? Get curious about your own fucking body and self so that way you can articulate that to your partner. Hey, when you said this, it really triggered me. I didn't appreciate it. My dad used to say this growing up and that's not something I want to be spoken to. Got done. Look how incredible that is. What is it? What would you say is your most common thing that anxious attachment comes from? Like what would be the most thing that would come up with your clients? Um, like I mean, mean like the, the the origin of it? Yeah, just like, um, you know, like sometimes when you get that initial being like, oh, that's why I did what I did or said what I said. Sometimes that can really help people understand their anxious attachment. So like, obviously there's so many different reasons, but there's like, so many is, there any, is there any common ones that like are quite common in your practice? Yeah, usually like inconsistent parents. Like I grew up yeah. with inconsistent parents. I grew up, you know, my mom was a people pleaser or my dad was a narcissist, like, it's kind of a lot of the same type of thing of like, oh, I, yeah, I have a pattern. I keep going for the same thing. It feels safer. I'm scared to open up. It's that same rhetoric that we know so well, which is why I've been able to work with people so well. I'm like, I know it because I was it. I yeah. was her. I was the girl that texts a thousand times. I would have panic attacks if someone didn't respond back and write guys off because they didn't text me in a minute. I was doing all of that and it was never serving me until mm-hmm. I started to really get my shit together and be like, wait a minute, you're part of the problem, right? You're not part of the solution. And I ch- I started to date differently and I started to date with more security and I started to love myself. And now here we are. Yeah. Amazing. Love yeah. this. Well, I won't keep you too long because I know you've got a call, but I just want to say thank you very much and let us know where we can find you because I know you have an po- amazing podcast. Thank you. Yeah. So it's called Do the Work Podcast. So you can find that anywhere podcasts are found and do the work on Instagram and Sabrina.Zohar on TikTok or Instagram is me. Um, yeah. Would love to connect and thank you so much for having me. This was an awesome conversation Aww. and I hope it helps some people. Thank you very much. And thanks for listening. Uh, let us know uh, if you want to review, subscribe, et cetera. And thank you very much.